this morning we learned from verse 17 that we must suffer with Christ if we are to be glorified with him. We must endure persecution. We must endure the ordinary trials of life. We especially must endure self-denial and sacrifice as we seek to be faithful to our God. And we must endure all of this as we look to Christ and depend on Christ and walk with Christ through these days of suffering. And verse 17 says that if we do this, we can be sure we are children of God and glory is ahead for us. Now as we come to the new paragraph, we find that Paul's focus is on how we as Christians join with all of creation in waiting for that great day of glory. Uh, this is a paragraph that is full of, full of longing. It's full of desire. It's full of yearning. When will the day come? When will this cursed world be made new? Paul's heart is full of earnest waiting as he writes. Come, Lord Jesus, is the cry we feel as we read this paragraph. But tonight, we're only going to read verse 18. So look with me at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now this morning, we saw the various kinds of suffering that Paul has in view. Tonight, I want us to focus on the glory that Paul sets before us. I want to offer up five points that I hope will open up this verse to us so that we can feel its comfort. I'm going to spend most of my time on the first point, so don't get nervous when it takes a little longer. They won't all be that long. Here is the first point about this glory that is ahead for us. Point number one, this glory is the glory of God. This glory is the glory of God. The prize that is set before us as we run our race of enduring and being faithful and suffering with Christ, the prize that we are going for is so much better than any gold medal in Sochi. The prize is nothing less than the glory of God himself. All true and lasting glory that exists springs from God as beams spring from the sun. There is no true glory that does not originate with God. God is the ocean of glory. God is the fountain of all glory. In Acts 7 verse 2, Stephen referred to God as the God of glory. Glory is an attribute of God. Or better, it is the result of all his attributes come together, united, perfect harmony, shining forth for us to see. When we speak of the glory of God that we will behold, we need to make a distinction between God's intrinsic glory and the glory that we give to God. Over and over again, the Bible tells you and me to give glory to God. But what the Bible means by that is not that we somehow make God more glorious than he already is. 
God is already infinite in his glory. He is intrinsically, in and of himself, infinitely glorious. And God is not made one ounce more glorious by anything that we say or do. He is inherently, intrinsically, infinitely glorious. So when the Bible speaks of giving glory to God... What it really refers to there is acting in such a way that esteem for God is increased and our hearts are the hearts of others. I glorify God when I point others towards Him. I glorify God when I sing songs that remind me of His greatness and His beauty so that my heart esteems God more highly. But the primary glory that is our prize, the primary glory that awaits us in heaven is this, beholding the intrinsic glory of God. We are going to see God in his own inherent splendor and beauty. The scriptures teach that God is like the sun. He is brilliance, all pure and white, with no blemish. God is pure goodness and his glory will be deeply satisfying to us. When you think of something that satisfies you or refreshes you, I think of a glass of iced tea, right? Something that satisfies, it's refreshing. But when you behold your God, and your soul drinks in that incredible sight, you will find it to be the most thrilling, satisfying, refreshing, rejuvenating gulp of anything you have ever had. And like the angels, you will have the joy of drinking in God's glory and letting it thrill your heart forever and ever if you're a Christian. You see, our God is an ever-flowing spring of glory. God is constantly giving and yet never diminishing. He, he, he never runs dry of glory. In fact, he is never any less of glory than when he was when, from the beginning. He is an eternal spring of glory. He is the ancient of days, and yet his glory has never grown one day old. God's glory is never stale. It is as fresh and new and brilliant today as it has ever been. When you behold him, his will be a ravishing glory. And this intrinsic, inherent glory of God is part of what makes God, God, This intrinsic glory he will never give to anyone else. We can drink of it. We can share in it. We can bask in it. Even have his glory transform us. But ultimately the glory is God's glory and it will be God's forever. Isaiah 48, 11. My glory I will not give to another. There have been a few in history of of mankind who have been given a little glimpse of God's heavenly glory even before they died. While they were frail people still living in this life, they caught a glimpse of the glory of God. One great example is Revelation 4. So let me ask you to turn there for a moment. This is the prize. This is the glory Paul is speaking of in Romans 8. And I want you to learn from John who had a little vision of God's glory. He had a vision of God on his throne. Revelation 4. 
look at how the glory of God, the little glimpse of it that John was able to get in this life, look at how it is described. Look in verses 2 and 3 of Revelation 4. Verses 2 and 3. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Notice, God's essence is not described here. Only his appearance his appearance. See, John gets this glimpse of the glory of God and what are the words that John uses to help us get a sense of what he saw? Jasper and carnelian are the two words he uses to describe for us what he saw of the glory of God. And I think God revealed himself with that limited description for our good. Had God revealed himself in a more detailed, physical way, there would have been a temptation among some to to try and draw God, to try and create an image of God here on earth. And so it is God's goodness to us to keep us from sin that he only gives us these vague images in the Bible. And yet even these two words give us a wonderful taste of the glory of God. Jasper. If you look at what we call jasper, you'll find a stone that is typically red or yellow or brown. But what John is calling jasper is not the same stone as ours. Because in Revelation 21, verses 10 through 11, we read this. Just listen. John says, He carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain. He showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most real jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. So clearly, what John is referring to by jasper is something clear as crystal. Most scholars think that he was referring to a diamond or something very similar. The most precious of stones. It is listed first both in the throne room of God and in the litany of stones that appear in Revelation 21 describing heaven. Uh, This is the stone of brilliance such that when light goes through it, the light is intensified and it shines off in all directions. Jasper shimmers and glistens and sparkles. And then there is carnelian. Uh, Carnelian has a deep reddish color. And like the jasper before it and the emerald rainbow that John describes around the throne of God, this is a stone in which light can shine through in reddish brilliance. Uh, The emerald rainbow that John sees surrounding God's throne is likely uh, a rainbow, but emerald in color. And many commentators and pastors try to make all these different stones represent something. They, they say, well, this is, this is our vision of the prize ahead for us. So what must it mean that God is like a diamond? Well, they say the diamond, maybe that's God's purity. Well, the red stone, the carnelian, maybe that represents God's wrath. Or maybe it represents the blood of Christ. And the green emerald rainbow, maybe that represents eternal life. Without discounting that completely, I don't think that's the point of this description of God. Rather, I think what we have here is what the psalmist wrote about. 
In Psalm 104, 1 and 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. You cover yourself with light as a garment. You see, throughout the scriptures, we see the glory of God presented to us as a brilliant light that shines forth. Uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.16 that God dwells in unapproachable light. And this seems to be what John has seen. He looks upon the throne of God and what does he see? He sees brilliant light, colorful light. Light as if it is being shown through precious gems. It is a light that is both beautiful and yet difficult to keep looking at because it is so radiant. This is the closest human description we can have to what it's going to be like to behold the glory of God. Uh, Listen to Ezekiel's vision. Ezekiel was another who was one of those rare people who got a taste of the the glory of God before he died. He he got a little taste of the prize before he had reached it. And, And here's how he describes it. He says, And above the expanse, over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was the likeness of a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And there was brightness all around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. Mount Hermon, what John experienced, what Ezekiel experienced, was a spectacular view. They saw something of God in his brilliant and pure glory shining forth. And this, my friends, is what we will have in even more fullness in the future. This was them trying to put into words what words cannot contain. The fullness of the glory of God being experienced. They only got it in tiny portion. We will get it full throttle. In fact, neither God in his essence nor his throne are really ever described in the Bible. What's actually described in the Bible is the glory that proceeds forth from God and his throne. But these words say enough for us to know that this sight that we will see will be overwhelming and it will be beautiful. Friends, we were created to behold the beauty of God and to love Him forever. You were created to be a worshiper. You were created to see and to savor and then to praise. And that is what we will do. This is the beatific vision. We will see God as he is. And we will be enthralled. And we will worship. So what is this glory that Paul was talking about in Romans 8.18? It is the glory of God. Because all glory is God's glory. And he is the pinnacle of glory. Second point. Second point. The glory of God will be revealed to us in Christ. The glory of God will be revealed to us in Christ. So 
We're talking about seeing God. When we die, when we come into our reward, when we reach our prize, when we've endured our life of of suffering for Christ and we've been faithful, when we get to the end, we're going to see God. 1 John 3, verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. But what do we know about the essence of God? God is a spirit, and he does not have a body like men. God himself is invisible in his intrinsic nature. God cannot be seen with physical human eyes. He cannot be contained in any physical limitation. And this means that if we're going to really see God with perfected, glorified eyes, He's going to have to appear to us in some sort of physical form. How will this be? Well, the answer is we will see God in the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. We will see the mediator. We will see the God-man. Remember, when we see the Lord Jesus, we will not simply see him as the mere man of Nazareth, We will see Jesus in his glorified, exalted state. Peter, James, and John got a glimpse of this at the transfiguration. It was only a tiny glimpse. Matthew says he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. You guys studied this in Sunday school, didn't you, Benjamin? Benjamin was telling me this was their Sunday school lesson this morning, the transfiguration. Folks, we will see the glory of God when we reach heaven in Christ. Hebrews 1, verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God. Hebrews 2, 9, we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, now crowned with glory and with honor. Our Savior is now exalted and radiant. Titus 2 verse 13 says that Christians are those waiting for our blessed hope. What is our blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It isn't just that we are waiting for Jesus to come back, though we are. But we are waiting when he returns to see him in all of his God-given glory and splendor. We will see our bridegroom as we've never seen him before. Um, To reverse the picture, men, you remember what it was like when you were married and those chapel doors opened up in the back and there was your bride-to-be all decked out in her beautiful gown and your heart went in your throat. (laughs) Well, we will behold our bridegroom in his splendor and glory and it will be amazing. Point number three. This glory will not only be revealed to us, but in us. Let me see it again. This glory will not only be revealed to us, but in us. You see, everything I've said so far is true. The glory is God's glory alone, and we're going to behold it. But it is equally true that there's going to be a sense in which we share in God's glory, and that God's glory is going to be in us as his children. Everybody look at Romans 8, um, verse 18 again. 
I want you to look at it with me. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It could just as equally be translated in us. With the glory that is to be revealed in us. And actually a number of Bible translations do translate the verse that way. The glory to be revealed in us in us now there's a couple of reasons why that's a a good translation so is to us both are good translations but there's a couple of reasons why revealed in us is a good translation first paul has just been talking about our adoption and the fact that we are sons and daughters of god well children take on the characteristics of their parents We have been born again by God's seed, by the word of God. And now his character is being developed in us. All goodness comes from God and is properly his, but he is allowing us to share in his goodness, to share in his holiness, like father, like sons. Moses sang about God being glorious in holiness, and on the last day his children will be glorious in holiness. Then not only that, but the context of our verse has been about fighting the good fight against sin and disobedience to God. We are to put to death the deeds of the body. The Christian life in this world is a life of fighting sin within us. Every Christian present knows the suffering of having to fight sin that keeps rearing up its ugly head in our hearts day after day. We keep messing up in our relationship to God and our relationship to others and in our callings because of our sin. Sometimes we feel beat down and sometimes we feel frustrated and strained. And we are told that there is coming a day when the glory of God is going to be revealed in us. I think that means there's going to be a day when you're going to experience the joy of the glory of God's holiness revealed in you. A day of perfection. A day when all of your sufferings will seem like nothing compared to the glory of God that you are not only beholding, but that is actually in you. Thomas Watson said that in heaven, we will be like sponges before sweet wine. The sponge soaks in the wine until the sponge itself becomes sweet. So also we will behold the sweet glory of God. And as we are beholding his glory, we ourselves are becoming glorious. God's glory himself, it will not be diminished one iota. But we will be filled and we too will shine with brilliance. Did you hear me? We too are going to shine with brilliance. The same language used of the glory of God, bright, radiant light, is used of Christians in heaven. Here's a passage maybe you haven't heard in a while. It's from Daniel 12, verses 1 through 3. And it's God revealing to Daniel what is going to happen in the last days. Listen to what God says to Daniel about the last days. He says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as there has never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth 
shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This passage speaks of the end times, of the coming of Christ, of the resurrection of the dead, either to eternal life or to judgments. And then it says those who are counted wise, God's people, they will shine like the brightness of the sky above. They will shine like the stars forever and ever. Jesus said it, Matthew 13, verse 43, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So not only will the glory of God be revealed to us, but it will be revealed in us, and we will shine with God forever and ever. Now that's mysterious, and I hesitate to say any more, but the Bible does teach that. Number four, the enjoyment of this glory is the highest enjoyment a person can know. The enjoyment of this glory is the highest enjoyment a person can know. God is the summum bonum, the highest good. And because God is the highest good, the enjoyment of him is the highest and best enjoyment possible. What would you set next to the glory of God? What could be more satisfying and delicious to your soul? What could be more thrilling to you? You say, Justin, maybe watching the sun rise over the Grand Canyon. That's absolutely amazing. I I was there years ago. I saw that. It is amazing. God created that sunrise. God created that canyon. It is only a shadow of his glory. You say, Justin's sensual pleasures can be deeply satisfying. There is the glory of a Thanksgiving feast with turkey and dressing and cranberry sauce and all your favorite casseroles and pies. There is the glory of the marriage bed and the intimacy that can be shared there. But dear friends, even these sensual pleasures were created by God and none of them would exist apart from him. They are his idea, and they are drops in the bucket, only tiny tastes of his astounding glory. You say there is the glory of a mother's deep love for her children and her warm embrace of them. But friends, how much better to be children of God and to be held by your loving Father and to behold his glory and to live forever in his warm embrace. You see, there is nothing we can put next to the glory of God as being better or even close. There is nothing more satisfying. Thomas Watson says again, Who would weigh a feather against a mountain of gold? God excels all things more infinitely than the sun, the light of a slim candle. There's the brilliance of the sun that we can't look at from where we are. Right? We, we look at it for a moment, we have to turn our eyes away. Imagine being close to the sun. You can't. You'd burn up. It's so bright. It's so hot. It's th- and then imagine a little birthday candle. Right? And Watson says, the glories of this world, the best enjoyment you've ever had. Birthday candle. Glory of God 
the Son. It is the highest enjoyment we can ever know. The glory of God is infinite. You are finite. The glory of God transcends all bounds, but you are a physical being. And this means that even in eternity, you won't be able to behold all of the glory of God. Even in eternity, you won't be able to contain it all and to take it all in. You'll only be able to experience the glory of God a bit at a time. And you'll experience more and more of God's glory as he gives you capacity. By the way, sin dulls your capacity for enjoyment. You cannot enjoy God like you will in heaven. Your sinfulness has dulled your ability. But in that world, you will be sinless. You aren't capable today of experiencing the kind of joy you will know on that day. Mount Hermon, let us not be foolish. Let us not be like the seed that fell among the thorns. Let us not lose this prize of the glory of God because we got distracted with the stuff of this world. Enjoy what is right for you to enjoy in this life. But let nothing keep you from running your race, being faithful to your Christ, and entering glory as a child of God. Don't lose the eternal for the things that are passing. Don't trade the prize of God's glory for the trinkets here on earth. Whatever else you do, whatever else it costs you, be faithful. Humble yourself, trust and obey your God. Number five, final point. The sufferings we endure as we seek to be faithful to God are not worth comparing with this glory ahead. Now that's the point of the verse. Take this glory of God that is ahead of you Take your sufferings that you are experiencing today and put them side by side. And what do you find? How are we to view our own sufferings? How are you to measure the weight of your own frustration and pains and struggles? God says, here is how you are to weigh your suffering. You are to put all of your pain and all of your sorrow and all of your struggle and all of your heartache that you have known in this life and you're to put it on this side of the scale. And you know what? Your sorrows are heavy. Your struggles as you seek to follow Christ, they weigh a lot. They immediately bring the scale down. And then on the other side, you put the glory that lies ahead for you. On the other side, you place the glory of God. On the other side, you place the prize that awaits you. And immediately when you place the glory of God on this side of the scale, your sorrows are lifted up as though they were as light as a feather, as if they were nothing. Now, I am not trying to make light of anyone's pain or anyone's sorrow when I say that they're like nothing. I was there yesterday with that grieving family. Um, Seven years ago today, Crystal and I were in Northampton County putting our little boy in the ground. I know that many of you in this room have suffered in ways deeper than I can understand. 
I do know the disappointment of losing battles with sin. I do know the stress caused by a conscience demanding to do the right thing when the right thing is going to hurt and it's going to hurt a lot. But God has the eternal perspective in view and he is inviting us to join him in seeing our sorrows with that eternal perspective. This life is a vapor. It is here today and it is gone the next. And that means your sufferings are a vapor and your prize is forever. In the long run, it will have all been far more than worth it. Are you struggling to obey God because the consequences are going to be painful? It is worth it. Are you hurting because your battle with sin is hard? Christian, the prize will be worth it. Are the hurts of this world, the sickness in your body, the attacks of others, is it weighing you down? Well, then let this verse lift up your head and give you strength. Let this verse be God's nourishment to encourage you and to keep you faithful and to keep you going. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. God, give us hearts to believe this verse and we will be a transformed people. Let's pray.